Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Rob with me. Rob, what is it that you do? Hi, uh, I'm Rob Debane. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called E2Assure. So we do security operations center services, uh, manage tech to respond, so security monitoring, detection and response 24-7 globally. You're a pretty big company these days, right? I was uh, heard you described as the biggest company I might not have heard of this week. Yeah, well, depends how you measure big uh, in terms of, of scale. We are operating out of the UK and Australia now. So we've managed to expand into a, a SOC, a, a physical SOC over in Australia with people out there, as well as the UK uh, covering, I guess, the international space. Um, we're still less than 100 people in size, uh, eight years old um, and, and growing rapidly. So I guess, yeah, it depends, I guess, how you define us. But we're definitely um, still feel like a young company, uh, still feel quite small. Uh, but our expand uh, what we cover is actually quite large enough. Our customer base is extensive uh, and quite surprising for a lot of organizations when they see what we do at the level we do it at. It's quite an eye opener, I guess. So you say customer base is extensive. Is that just because of your experience and your brand or is it that you yeah. target a specific vertical? Well, we used to be very much public sector, uh, what's called critical national infrastructure uh, and government that is where we began. So I guess we began in the large and complex and difficult and we've been really trying to boil it down into the scalable and, and simpler uh, market to, so that we can create a service which SMEs can consume, which we think is the hardest thing to do for a SOP business is to scale down to smaller businesses because I think often they just see something like we do as like something that a bank might have or a telco uh, or, or government department, but maybe not appropriate for your regular organization. We're really focusing on those everybody else sector at the moment. Yeah, I heard somebody at an event um, this week describing how a lot of organizations approach SMEs as um, pretending they are big companies, but smaller. And I guess SMEs have yeah. a, a lot of their um, their own challenges. So how do you typically um, engage with a new customer? Is there something specific that's maybe happened to that customer that would lead them to, to look for your services? Yeah, there's loads of different ways and it depends. So we work in the heavy, big regulated industry as well. So the regulators demand things if you're a financial organization. So that's, I guess, where we began in that space. But to expand outside of you know regulated requirement for this type of thing, uh, you've got to create an attractive proposition these days, which um, has to solve a key problem as they understand it. So we've kind of um, tried to, to uh, I guess, put a new message across that it's what the, the, what the point of an engagement with cyber in general is, is to reduce the risk in your business. Uh, and there's many things you can do to do that. And we're trying to get our customers to be interested in a longer term approach to the problem rather than trying to suggest that we can fix it tomorrow. So I guess there's a, a kind of um, a way of engaging that, that tries to connect the interest of reducing risk and understanding what that is, that is in cyber. And sometimes, yeah, we do get people that get hacked and ring us up uh, either through their instrument response company or just because they need help. Generally, that can go one of two ways pretty quickly. Some become customers and some kind of do what we call the you know, ostrich approach. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this um, where, where, where if you've been an instrument response engagement, things like that, where some, for some strange reason, even though you, you've saved them from disaster, they don't seem to think that they need cybersecurity still. And I guess there'll always be that type of company. So I guess it's engaging with the companies, understand that it's a business problem that needs addressing strategically. It's not fixed overnight with silver bullets. 
I'm going to buy a product and it's going to go away. So they're the conversations we want to have. They're the typical people that are our customer. They want us to advise, to present a sensible strategy, not to promise the world and not deliver it, and then to slowly improve that over time with some effective security monitoring, but only just enough. <laughs> just enough uh, that they need, not too much, if that makes sense. I've definitely seen organizations do either directly the ostrich approach where they're just like, we're going to ignore this problem. Or sometimes it's it's where um, they, they don't know what they're doing, so they take some action and sometimes it's the, the wrong thing. For example, I, I saw a company who had a website compromise, so there was obviously a vulnerability somewhere in the web application. A um, threat group uploaded some malware to the web server and their, this company's only action was to delete the malware. And then, of course, yeah. very quickly afterwards, it came back, surprisingly. Um, so how do you um, approach those companies? Do you uh, avoid the ostriches, so to speak? Or is it the kind of thing where you try and educate them? You can try and educate up to a point, can't mm, you? To a point. Um, but uh, as you mature as a business, so, you know, we're eight, eight years old, I guess, you learn those lessons that, um, you know, you can educate to a point. But it's, it's fair to say that, you know, if, if they're not going to listen, it's not the right type of engagement. Um, and you have to, as a business, you have to, to make those decisions and look for customers who uh, understand that they've got responsibility to. I guess the sort of um, the, 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 the hardest bit of education is getting organizations to accept that they have to do something about this problem. And for us, that's about taking responsibility, that they have data that needs protecting. They have a, a duty of care over their employees' data, for starters, and their customers' data. So I guess if, if, they're, if they're accepting that, we call that the acceptance phase, <laughs> uh, and then understand that they have to do this about, that's the good indicator, I guess. And we recommend everyone's thinking, look, I can't just pretend it's not going to happen, and I can't just outsource all the problem to somebody else and pretend they're going to fix it like my IT company looks after me, because they're not really on the hook. If you get hacked, you're on the hook. Your company, your brand, your shareholders, whoever, that's who's going to have to respond effectively. How do you, when you're first engaging with a new company, um, how do you get them to trust you? And what, what I'm kind of getting at here is um, with, with pen testing, it seems pretty easy for me. If people want to know how good a hacker I am, I've got things like certifications that I can get like at an individual level. But um, customers are trusting you with, with so much. How do you build that trust? Oh, there's, there's many ways. And you, you've really hit something on the head is that trust is essential uh, for the relationship to work. So it starts off with boring stuff. We have a load of certifications, 27,001. We've got a DPO. We've got all the right people, a bit, Cyber Essentials Plus, body, body, blah. But then all of our staff are security cleared uh, three times, strangely. Everybody, including um, you know the, the, the secretary, if you like, or the marketing manager. Uh, so they're police cleared to level of, of police. Uh, we can deal with police data, which is very sensitive. And they're cleared for CNI and, and, and MOD, effectively. So it means that they've been background checked to extensive levels in three different ways to make sure everyone working in the business is honest, trustworthy for the first point. That's the point in that, is building that. And then within the company culture, promoting transparency, honesty, and culture. And then the way we present that back to our customers is they can see what we're doing. So we give them access to our data. That's really their data that we're using to monitor. They can see, they can, at any point in time, they can look at what we're doing and they can tell us it's not good enough um, because we believe that it's only through that transparency of working with someone who you can trust that we're not going to get it right every time and we need them to help us make our service better. So if we go about that, look, the only way we're going to get better is if we uh, are transparent <laughs> um, and then that transparency can be tested by organizations uh, like yourselves, perhaps who might sort of bring in a few tests like pen tests or simulations and things. 
And we would treat all that as a positive thing. And again, the final way we do that is by doing it in baby steps first. So we don't go out saying, I'll tell you what, we're going to deploy all this. And in three months time, the world is fixed. No, we don't approach it like that. Uh, systematically and incrementally improving things with measured, measured checkpoints uh, and, the, and the fact that they could just leave if they don't like what they're getting in the first three months is another good thing. So look, to start with this, let's try and progress to this point. If that's not, it's not, not working, then let's set, go a separate ways. So there's loads of ways. There's, there's a few more, Holly, but I don't want to uh, go on about too no. many. <laughs> I think I think those are those are two key points. I, I love the transparency thing because um, that that is a good way of building trust because you're showing what you're doing and you're saying like, look, we're not we're not hiding behind a like a, a secrets here. We're not saying, well, we'll do magic in the background and trust us, our magic is good. So so I like that. Don't do trust me, trust me. Uh, all soft businesses is like that. You can't see what they're actually doing and you get some sort of report, but you're seeing in real time if they want to at any point in time exactly who's doing what what alerts we've got, what we're looking at, what data we have. They've got full visibility of everything our analysts have, which is, I think, pretty unique in this, this industry, well, in our sector anyway. Yeah, and it, it impacts everything as well. You mentioned um, penetration testing. There's there's many um, pen testing companies that do operate like that, mainly for no reason other than the convenience of the tester, right? But a lot of testers are quite, yeah, yeah. quite happy to, to sit for a couple of weeks and, and do an engagement and never actually talk to the customer about um, how they're approaching things. I'm not saying that they wouldn't disclose vulnerabilities, but very often it's just like, what are we up to? How are we working? How, how are things going? Um, I know from from um, talking to some customers at that other companies, definitely it's just like we, we don't hear anything until the very end of the test and we hope it all went well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I guess the, the, the other way of explaining that is that sometimes it is quite painful. <laughs> uh, to be fair, we call it sort of lessons learned. Uh, we have like a what's called a whoops culture in the business, which is um, if you get something wrong, you, you, you tell everybody about it. <laughs> uh, and there's generally no repercussions because I guess the problem with all the challenges for our staff is that we're the blue team and you're the red mm. team or whatever. The attack of the red team, we're the blue team, we're the goalkeepers, effectively, trying to keep the uh, the ball out of the net uh, and the the attackers get all the praise. And it's much easier, isn't it, to have a whole uh, 10 people driving at the goal than one person. So basically, it's quite difficult in a sock to have um, triumphs, if you like. <laughs> so it's a lot easier to be picked up for stuff that you've missed than it is for stuff you catch often in the sock. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's really, really important to promote that kind of culture that if, if something isn't caught, then we learn from it and improve, not that we try and hide it. Uh, so trying to promote a culture where your staff don't want to hide problems works really well in cybersecurity, isn't it? <laughs> so that, that's kind of really important that no one wants to hide problems. And it is painful sometimes. Um, you know, there's always a good reason. The customer normally didn't give us access to something or whatever. But only by going through this sort of cycle do you get better. And that's in everyone's interests, because the more secure the customer is and the better we are securing them, the less risk they are to us as well. So I think that's a key sort of bit of understanding between customer and supplier, that we've got a shared goal to reduce risk. <laughs> Therefore, if we're smart about it and we accept it's not perfect and we both less do lessons learned, then they'll take away something that we recommend and we'll take away something that they recommend. Yeah, and it sounds a lot as well like um, to some degree, working with different customers, they might have different expectations. I want you to work with them in different ways. And, and by having that um, that constant communication, or as you said uh, a second ago, doing starting with something small, you can work out all of those things as you go, it seems. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't plan a security program in, for three years and, and, and expect it's going to turn out like that, can you? Um, that, that's, that's naive in cybersecurity. Things move pretty quickly. Uh, so agility is key. So we, we describe our services as tailored. <laughs> so you've got custom and bespoke, uh, the big world, the big 
uh, consultancy companies would do that. And then you've got sort of off the shelf uh, and that's kind of your, your really straightforward, you know, mass scale alert monitoring services. And we like to think that most customers want something tailored because everyone's slightly different. Um, they've got slightly different risks, slightly different IT systems, slightly different things. So if we're able to tailor that space a little bit, they can make sure that the, uh, that certain things that they want goes into the service. And I guess we don't want to do big, complicated, bespoke too often because that's hard. Uh, so I guess that tries to explain how we how we operate, you know, the tailored suit kind of area. Mm. No, I love that description. I love that description. I've never actually thought of it in that in that way before, but I think that's a pretty everybody can see see what you're getting at there. And and very often, you know, it might be the case that uh, bespoke is just needlessly expensive if the benefits that it's bringing is not something you need. Yeah, and often sometimes that occurs because uh, customers are driving suppliers the wrong way. Um, so if that makes sense, is, is that their program doesn't align very well with the, with the, what they're trying to put into it. Uh, and they end up needing a lot of different bits and bobs to put into the program. So I think, you know, a simple cybersecurity strategy where you've got key advisors, uh, you're trusting your suppliers, but you've got control and visibility of them. So you, you're not just saying, trust me, trust me. You're saying, look, I know what I'm doing. We know what we're doing. We can solve this problem. Let's get involved in doing it incrementally. But you've got eyes on it, too. You can start to measure us. And that's the way to do it. Um, I think it's you know straight talk at the beginning of what you can achieve is pretty good too, <laughs> uh, and re- re- reality you know giving them a realistic approach, uh, something that makes sense because I think a lot of people try and promise a bit too much, because it is difficult, isn't it, getting cybersecurity right, even though actually the stuff you're doing is quite simple often. So you mentioned uh, that the team that you have there all go through various uh, background checks. One of the things that we're often told, or customers often say to us is, um, cybersecurity is difficult to keep up because there's always something changing. So how do you make sure that your team are always upskilling and always know the latest problems? So we've always adopted the sort of staff are the most important asset approach to the business, and it's not technology. We have technology, sure. We are a technology company. We make a product. (laughs) We wrap it into a service. Service is delivered by people, but people are key to it working. So we have uh, large training budgets as part of our staff uh, incentive scheme they, they go up to kind of uh, you know five six seven eight nine ten thousand pounds a year to spend on the best training in the world uh, they take them to conferences but we also have a huge r&d uh, focus in the business because we're making product uh, making our service better we're taking analysts best ideas and integrating them into our product to make us more efficient so what we try and do we don't always do this but always achieve this is that we try and give everyone 20 percent of their time doing r&d and research functions as long as it aligns with the goal of providing more effective cybersecurity, uh, we give them labs and, and, and time. And of course, that helps us because they come up with good ideas. <laughs> Not always, clearly. But if we can integrate some of those good ideas into our technology, then our company benefits and our customers benefit. And also, the analysts have some time off not looking at alerts all day, which is called alert fatigue. I'm sure you've heard that term. Um, and again, we don't always get this right, but it's essential in a business like ours to over over capacity have over capacity um because if something goes wrong it kind of affects multiple customers so, so you can imagine can't you if something kicks off it kind of kicks off across the board so you need you need a lot of flex resource so if you work out how to organize your business into a core team but they've got quite a bit of capacity because it might be on r d and uh, things like that then all this actually helps provide capacity but also develops ipr for us effectively uh, because most people playing with cyber will have an idea about how to detect something better uh, or, or something will happen and they will be able to put that into our product. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with R&D, isn't it? It's like it's not it's not all going to work. It's not every time you research something, you're going to you're going to find something groundbreaking. But it, it um, grows the experience of the team. And th- there's nothing better than being an analyst and thinking, oh, I've seen this before. 
you know, there's some, some comfort with that. So um, usually when we get people on and they're talking about red teaming things, uh, one of the things that the audience likes to hear about is what does the journey look like? Where do we start? And with pen testing, that's very easy. We can go down that journey of like, oh, start with vulnerability scanning. I'll start with something like Cyber Essentials. But for a SOC service, if I am a new company, I've just founded a, a founder, we're, we're six months in, we've been told we need a SOC. What what yeah. what next? <laughs> do we just ring you and say, can we have a SOC? Uh, ideally, yeah, we do get that uh, clearly. And sometimes that is regulatory pressures or, or supplier. So supply chain, big, big, um, big suppliers. If you're in that supply chain, they come and say, well, hang on a minute. If you're supplying me with, with the microchip I need, then I need to ensure that the chain of, uh, of, of production of your microchip is secure. And that means that blah, 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 blah. So that, that comes into this. But fundamentally, we go, OK, fine. That's great. But let's first do an assessment. So we, we only do it. We start with an assessment talking to them about what they've got already, what side products they've got already, if they've got experience of doing this before, what sort of people they have in, in the company uh, who have cyber roles. What are they? What do they do? What's their ambition? Um, and then we think about what are the services they take and where does it go to? And then we ask some questions about their technology. Uh, and we've been doing this so long that we just understand then straight away, as soon as we ask them then, well, what is it you're worried about? Is it, you know, DDoS attacks or someone putting malware out that would stop you, you know, ransomware maybe that would stop you uh, processing orders or, or manufacturing something? Or is all your stuff in factories and OT and IoT side? Once we've gone through like this questionnaire thing, we kind of get an idea and we go, OK, well, here's a, an idea of where to start. And we think the biggest risk is your email, actually, because you've got loads of customer data in that email. From what we've heard, you're not using multi-factor or something. You've tried and you failed. This is the kind of thing we get in an assessment. You get the real problem comes out, doesn't it? That they've got 300,000 300, users globally or, or 3,000 users or 300, but only 15% are using multi-factor. But in their email is all the purchase orders and customer data and everything they need to operate. So, so why don't we start by looking at that then? Why don't we start monitoring your email and see who's logging onto it, where they're logging onto it from, trying to work out how we can make sure it's their employees and say, look, why you sort of fix your MFA? Because that's going to take another year let's de-risk that by putting a sock to monitor that biggest risk it's not always that it might be that they realize they've expanded hugely into the cloud but they know they've done it really insecurely because everyone's enabled ssh and stuff and blah blah no one's thought about security they just burst a load of servers up and now they're going i don't think anyone's patching it i'm not sure i think most of it's exposed to the internet so you say okay well what's behind it all where's the key data where's your crown jewels they say oh, it's all there right let's start there then and that's really easy that's api that's really quick because the cloud is great because it's quick. We can do it over the internet. You know, it's not complicated. So it, it's a risk assessment is what I'm trying to say, Holly. And we do it by numerous factors. Um, and that's where we start because most organizations haven't got the time, the capacity or the people there and to do everything if you want to do anyway. Um, so you've got to do it incrementally because you need the right teaching to do something somewhere generally to enable a SOC. And it's getting that time, which is the hardest bit. So just incrementally, but risks first is the answer, I guess. So now that um, SOC services are, are pretty well established within the industry, do you find that all of your customers come to you and they, and they know what it is that they're buying and they know what the, the features are? Or are you still doing a lot of uh, education of customers? There's a massive variation, Holly, in what people are doing under the, under the banner of SOC. As, as with the rest of the industry, it's massively confusing uh, what it is a SOC actually does. And some people may just think it collects logs and sends you a report every week versus we're in line real time trying to respond to cyber incidents in 15 minutes and, and respond to them with instant response built in there's a way different thing between those two isn't there you see what i'm saying so it's trying to get customers to identify the value of services is really difficult and then you've got the xdr and all that stuff coming into this and the mdr bit what's the, what's the managed detect response service versus the SOC? 
well, it's an element of a, of a good sock, MDR. <laughs> so it's it's still really confusing in our book, and I'd, I'd love to find a way of making it simpler, but I haven't found that way, and I wish wish I could <laughs> uh, show how you differentiate services like ours against competition. Uh, we generally, depending on if they're technically oriented, then we generally show them that the sock needs these key things. Okay, so one would be depending on what the network is, it needs visibility of the network level, whatever you want to call the network, whether that's the cloud, that's the on-prem, the data centers, the factories. We need network visibility of what's happening on their systems, okay? So that's the first thing. We know one of the things we need, um, and that's part of the XDR bit, isn't it? You know, if you think of all those bits, and we want endpoint. These days, the most important thing is, is the laptops, the endpoints, the users are at. That's what we need, and we want access to that endpoint for the SOC, good quality data, maybe not logs, maybe an EDR, you see what I'm saying? So there are building blocks that we're after uh, that make this easier and that's how you kind of go about it. And some SOCs don't do any of that stuff, they just want to take some logs. Um, and that's difficult for companies often, and uh, can be quite expensive. And often what that's trying to do is simply drive a big log uh, engine. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult to run a SOC like that. <laughs> without having the context of the endpoint, what's happening on it, why is PowerShell running? Well, do we know it's running? Okay, who's running it? In what context? Uh, what command did it run? Yeah, that's what you want to know. And then what happened next? Did it did it, did it it pull something down from the internet? Or did it try to? Can we have the network traffic that matches? Is that gonna make sense? So in our SOC, we've always believed that you need all of that to function. Um, and that's how we've differentiated. That's why I actually developed our own technologies because we couldn't afford to buy all of those things, <laughs> uh, you know, a network, a traffic analysis product, an IDS product, an endpoint product. So it's, it's like, you know, we had to put something together which would give us that insight without providing all the cost effectively. Yeah, and I can imagine having your own technology as well gives you internally flexibility to, to make adjustments if the customer is asking for something a bit, as you said, tailored. Absolutely, and that's the key. And the key to what we've learned in the business is that we also just integrate the other technology. So the key thing we think is that what we're saying in our service is that if you've got good technology, we'll reuse it. If you haven't, we'll provide it. If you've got bits of the two, we'll do a hybrid model. <laughs> so that's what we've learned because the danger of a SOC is it puts customers into a position where they're just trying to configure things to send data to the SOC for ages. And the whole IT team is just configuring and deploying agents. Don't deploy agents for a SOC anymore. Come on, you don't need to. You, you need to configure Microsoft best practice logging according to Microsoft guidelines, and the SOC will pick that up. Don't put agents everywhere. Don't, I mean, what we've got to do as SOC businesses is make it a lot easier to consume our services. And at the same time, be make it so the consumer, the, 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 the customer gets something out of it that they can reuse. Um, and I guess that's that's a key differentiator when we're talking about what we do as versus other SOC services. We want them to use natural underlying configuration to get us data, uh, augment that with stuff that we can add. And if they've got already good investments, get them working properly, because that's quicker and cheaper than replacing it with our tech, isn't it? Mm. Uh, we want, yeah, so that, that's, that's that's lessons that we've learned in a nutshell um, and how we differentiate, I guess. So if a customer is, um engaging with you you know they've come to you for sock services they've got everything set up you've been through the assessment and and things are working what happens when something goes wrong what i mean here is there's still a lot of companies out there or maybe individuals at companies who've not experienced breaches before can can you run us through how that journey might look for for a bad thing yeah i do so i'll explain how how it, how it works so basically what what we do is part of this engagement is the assessment and the first sort of question we're asking next is so what are we going to do if we have an incident? And we call that a playbook. 
a rumble instant response plan, maybe. Uh, let's make instant response plans that match the top three risks uh, based on the threats that we expect will, will be around. That we just, you know, the general threats, ransomware, DDoS, whatever. You know, these things are happening. Which one's the biggest risk? Let's make a playbook and then let's practice that playbook. And in our software, we have the playbooks attached to the types of threats. So potential ransomware will have a playbook that says, you know, maybe we need to get in touch immediately with their IT team and they need to get that machine off the network. Isolate the machine playbook. But we might not be able to do that by automation initially because they might not let us. Yeah, but ideally we would automatically disconnect the machine from the network that was showing signs of initial stage uh, ransomware. Maybe a phishing link had been clicked, something was running, and we didn't like it, you know what it was. So we'd want to isolate that machine, turn off its network, yeah, other than the kind of control that we would have or the EDR would have, for example, and analyze it. Uh, and that's the ideal word, but often in big organizations, we're asking their IT team to do that quickly. So generally, these are integrating with their service desks at the enterprise scale. Do you know what I mean? Raising a ticket saying, this user, this machine, right now, disconnect network. Network team may do that on the firewall, may do that on the switches, may do it on the Wi-Fi. Um, so we're building instant response plans, brief ones. <laughs> but what we're interested in is a SOP businesses stopping and containing things quickly and giving our analysts time to investigate something. Think time, SOC think time. We don't, we don't, we don't know. Right? Most of the problems we investigate are in the could be a problem, but not sure, bracket. You know how many people have deployed intrusion detection services where they alert to loads of stuff, but block nothing. Next generation firewalls alerting, but not blocking. I've seen a suspicious download, but I've not blocked it. That's what we analyze. That's our space. <laughs> but also, if it does block something, then that's not the end of the story. It's actually a start, isn't it? Why have we got C2 connections being dropped on the firewall from internal hosts? That needs to be understood because it's quite likely that some of those hosts won't have AV on them because everyone's forgotten about something. You can't just, you know, that's what SOC's doing. So, um, you know, it's basically building playbooks that, and it's not that, I mean, we try to get organizations so that we can automate response, you know, take machine offline, back and get an image of it for investigation, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it's ringing up a team of people very quickly, <laughs> speed. So we'll be emailing, WhatsApping, calling, trying to get hold of people in their business to do something. Um, and then we try and mature that so, so we, they don't have to do that so that we can do that for them 24-7. What we have to do, Holly, is get them to a position where it is better to inconvenience a user for an hour than it is to run around and let ransomware impact your network at 3 a.m. on Saturday. It's better to disrupt that machine, isn't it, to isolate that first machine than it is to wait until we found your sister who's on holiday uh, and, and sleeping off some uh, some cocktail somewhere. But do you know what I mean? So, you know, we, we building its response plans is, is a short answer. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that we're always trying to do on the offensive team is move faster. So hearing that, you know, some sometimes organizations, you know, uh, haven't got themselves to the stage where they're doing automated response yet and you're still, you're still trying to, to call people up. Um, I can absolutely understand how that could be a frustration and it could be, I guess, one of the, the worst things to do must be if you successfully detect an attack you work out that this is a bad thing and we need to take some action then you you can't get in touch with the right person or you're not authorized to do anything watching the fire burn the house down is what it is and you're just watching it and you, no one's there with the hose because whatever reason you didn't ring the fire brigade you know the fire alarm's gone off uh, no one's come put the fire out and you're watching it burn and that is awful but it's really hard to educate customers holly to get to a position where they accept that the SOC can do actions. Normally there's a change control process. They're worried about breaking something. You know, it's like a pen testing, you know, or you're gonna break something and I can't have production broken. Well, if it's attacks live in production, then we would wanna try and stop it. 
because if it keeps going, then the impact is huge. So we call it doing something with low impact to prevent high impact and doing it at speed. Inconveniencing one user for one hour uh, regularly um, is, is better than taking you out of business, but it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to get that across. But it is true, I think you'll agree with me, looking at the statistics, the time between initial um, uh, get con uh, access to a network and full control ransomware out of the game is shortening. Now, previously, that would, could be weeks and months, you know, but they've got initial foothold to got domain admin, now I'm going to ransomware them, I've got everything I need, I've got I've practiced it, I'm ready, let's go. Um, that's starting to be hours now, isn't it, in some cases? Absolutely. And, and, and even where it's not, like I said, the offensive teams, be, be them people that goes on the pen testing side of things, or be them cyber criminals or similar. Yeah, they're trying to get that shorter because we're trying to beat you. And yeah. if we have we have a, com a company that we're targeting that has a SOC, that doesn't mean that the attackers aren't going to come. They're not going to see a SOC and go, oh, best day away in the same way that, you know, oh, they've got a burglar alarm, best day away. It's like, no, no, we'll, we'll try and outperform you and can we can we hit the target faster absolutely right speed is is, is number one enabler of, a, of an effective cyber attack isn't it um it, it speed really is and it's the number one drawback to secure the number one challenge for security monitoring uh speed uh, and that's why you have to automate it but it, it's getting customers to do it <laughs> and doing it without breaking something massively important that is the challenge of the industry i think right now so do you spend or does your team spend a lot of time working with customers to secure their environments. What I'm asking for here is, surely it's a better thing for you if your customers are more secure so that you have less problems. Yeah, in ideal world, yes. I guess at the large enterprise space, we're fitting into a larger large ecosystem. We probably haven't got the remit. Um, but as, as I'm saying, as we focus on the SME market, definitely. Uh, the key to successful cybersecurity is, uh, is accepting that there's a number of things that everybody can do to make it more secure. And should they do that, then the cost of ownership should be reduced. So that means, um, and we've talked about this before, that hardening systems <laughs> is massive. Configuring things better is what I'm saying. Configuring your windows better and things you're using better is huge. And if we can get customers to engage on that program, then that's the customer we want. Uh, because as you say, the less alerts, the less risks, and the more automation we can implement, the cheaper it is to deliver our service, therefore the cheaper service is to the customer. And that's shared goals, uh, reduce risk. <laughs> that is the perfect uh, engagement. Um, and that's what we're focusing on as providing the services or with partners providing the services, creating little ecosystems that can take them through that. But it's all cohesive. It's part of the strategy. And it's not piecemeal panic buying stuff. It's like, no, no, we know we've got some way to go. But by putting a strategy in place first and understanding that there are actions they can take themselves that are free, uh, there are actions that we can do. And there's actually products they can purchase in the future. There's their IT strategy can align better to help enable good cyber. Um, getting them on that journey is how we how it works successfully. Or the most successful engagements are ones that understand that. And that's definitely how we've been doing uh, more recently. That's been the focus of our engagements is trying to get them thinking about improving it, not just saying, oh, I've got a sock now, I'm just going to leave it. I've got a sock now, I'm just not going to bother configuring anything securely. You know, <laughs> I've got a sock to fix the world. No, hang on. This, you know, we need to reduce risk still. <laughs> um, you know, we, we need to be uh, in a position where we can detect and respond very quickly. So, yeah, you're dead right. Um, getting customers engaged in that way is, is how we want to engage. Can you tell us what it's like uh, working with the SMEs then in the SME space? I, I imagine they've got different challenges. And one of the things I definitely like to hear is how big do you have to be before you should start looking at some of these services? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So big is another thing, hard thing to define, isn't it? Uh, so 12 people companies but happen to uh, be quite critical. 
uh, the company might be worth a lot of money, but maybe 12 people in it. <laughs> uh, you know, classic uh, financial services stuff that are quite small in people and fintech um, again. But actually, we've really you know tried to cover a much broader base of customers. Um, I guess there's, there are a lot of things that mean SMEs are quite good at cyber as well. But people often think that they're not very good at it, but sometimes they are quite good at it. <laughs> um, and also there's an opportunity for SMEs starting quite small to engage with someone quite early uh, to do the things as they're small and put them in place now that as they grow would make them more effective. So we're interested in, in engaging with, with clients, not necessarily for today, but for next year or as they grow and as they scale. Uh, and again, that's that's quite a critical concept. But I guess, you know, trying to put it in numbers, we've got some customers who have you know, 12 people in their organization and we've got uh, a three or four person development company that develops some critical software. Uh, it's in the cloud and we monitor that for them 24 seven because they're really worried about it. If someone stole it off them, it would be terrible. Uh, they're just savvy. They're just tech savvy people who who who, who know they've got assets. <laughs> um, and I think at one stage we're almost monitoring one individual who happened to have a lot of of, of risk in cyberspace. <laughs> so I mean, you kind, of, you kind of could scale down to an individual ultimately, couldn't it? Um, if you think about how that works, because the cyber criminals' uh, value of extracting from that that individual may be huge. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. My, my go-to example of uh, <laughs> demonstrating that sometimes the term SME is useless is. Um, yeah. When Instagram was uh, sold to Facebook for a billion dollars, they had 13 employees. You've got it. Yeah, 13, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? I could, I'd have heard that before. But exactly. So how do you define SME as well? It's, it's a strange one. Um, it's quite quite a big sector, isn't it, really? You're covering. And if they're developing uh, IPR, medicines, vaccines, if they're doing uh, high-end research, a division of a university, if they may be a very small organization, all of a sudden they may have something of value. Uh, but actually, generally... As you would know, everyone's an easy target uh, is what hackers are really after, isn't it? In the first instance, they're not spending too much time selecting. They're just seeing who's most vulnerable often. Yeah, and, and that's a good point uh, to, to mention there as well. <laughs> like everyone's a good target is, is, is a great phrase, but I think the thing that's worth kind of taking a second to talk a little bit about is companies are different targets for different reasons, aren't they? They, they hold different kinds of data. You made some uh, mentions earlier of things like, um, employee data and things like that. But maybe somebody's listening to you talking here and they're saying that, oh, we're a boring company. N no one attackers. We we don't uh, hold anything interesting or we don't, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of cash in the bank. Maybe they're thinking that kind of thing. So so what are some of the things that you would think would lead to a company being a good target for attackers and things that they should keep an eye on? Uh, sure. So I'll, I'll try and give some interesting examples, sort of hacktivism or, or companies that don't, who do things that people don't like. Uh, is a good example, um, and that happens a lot. And there's obviously a terrorism aspect, and there's a nation-state aspect where certain organisations who are producing things um, would be targets just because they're targets. That's not an SME generally, but it could be. Uh, so if you're building something that might be used in defence or operations or any aspect of that, um, you're part of a complex supply chain. Uh, maybe you're a travel agent who um, handles the bookings of of high high-profile people. Um, you've, there's so many different ways that. Um, if, if you're thinking about this type of attacker is targeting for some motivation, then we often try and ask them as part of our threat workshops, is it possible that someone has a motive to attack you? Um, and that may be that you've, you've sat a lot of people or you did something uh, previously or you've done something that upsets uh, a, a certain area of, of, of people. Um, but generally, if you're making money is another good indicator. So your company's house records um, is, is awesome. And that's the shareholders funds line. 
uh, for most SMEs. Um, uh, you're publishing that data. They're going, all right, here we go. How many employees have they got? Uh, and they're not having a security team. What they're spending on IT, does it say in the uh, in the company's house report? I'm not sure, but I know they've got 400 grand of shareholders' funds. Maybe that's in cash. Um, you know, they, they could target on financial grounds. Uh, your ability to pay uh, might be is a key 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 aspect there. Uh, but anyway, what I'm saying is, it may just be that they could stop you selling something that's critical. So if you're high volume, high transactional, uh, and that availability is a key part of your cyber problem. Remember that ransomware stops your availability uh, because it stops you accessing things. <laughs> Therefore, if you need to operate quickly and effectively, and you can't, you know, if you're tracking vehicles or something, and that's key, and those vehicles can't be trapped anymore, and then someone deletes all the backups, and you don't know where it all is anymore, it's going to cost you everything to reinstate that. And actually, you're doing it as a service, and all your customers have lost all their data. Uh, but remember, you've got customer data, GDPR data. Let's not forget about obvious one. PII data is so easy to collect without realizing it. Um, and if that gets stolen, there's, there's a bribery thing. So it goes from ransomware to bribery. Um, they may just steal your email. So they say, I'm not, not, I'm, not, I'm not a target. Well, let's compromise your email, read it all, and then blackmail you with its contents. I, I said, you said so and so about this company, this organization. I'm going to publish that. Uh, it just keeps going on. There's so many different ways that they're going to leverage. These are criminals, remember. That's the key thing. Uh, and criminals uh, do criminal things. <laughs> um, so you've got to, got to think like that. And even if you've just got a section of of, uh, of data that is about customers that stolen ransomware, you could be getting fined for it. And there's PCI and there's other things. And you, I, ask, I often think about SMEs. What's your aspiration? You know, are you going to stay this big or do you want to grow? And if you're going to have to grow, you're going to have to do something about this because when you sell that thing to Apple or whatever, <laughs> they're going to do the due diligence exercise. If you have a proper strategy, and a service in place, then you're going to be able to scale much better. Um, it is, is a couple of answers to the question. I it was quite convoluted, but there's, it's a big. I could give you. I could keep giving you examples. No, you've you've um you've done exactly what I was looking for there, which is I think um some people look at cybersecurity with uh, a focus maybe too strongly on the things that they hear about. So people may be talking about um ransomware, 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 because that's that's what they hear about and that's what the media is talking about. And what, what you've pointed out there is. There's a whole bunch of reasons, and really that's like the strong answer in itself. I liked that you mentioned um, theft of email contents because that, that is a thing that um, I very often see organizations not not realize that sometimes just stealing the content of emails themselves can be a target. I was just looking up for an example just to check that I'd um, got the details right. Uh, back in 2011, LulzSec compromised uh, InfraGuard, an FBI-affiliated company. And that's one of the things that they did during that compromise was take all of the emails and, and dump the contents of the emails to the internet. And I think uh, you don't have to be a very big company and you don't have to be a very interesting company to get yourself into the position where you can't necessarily guarantee there isn't something somewhere embarrassing in an email, calling a, a customer names or something because they're being awkward or disparaging a competitor or maybe... Uh, internal political speech or, or or something like that. I think that's um one of the things that maybe we don't consider confidential and sensitive data um that could get could get leaked in a way that would be uncomfortable. Yeah, and that I think you've you, you've talked just before about how ransomware's kind of moved on as well. Mm. It's not about encrypting files and getting them back. It's about stealing them first, <laughs> so they've got the files because they could be sensitive, it could be embarrassing, and they'll try and pay you to not the but actually the bribery is the next aspect, isn't it really? Uh, we'll release this unless it didn't used to be like that. We'll unencrypt this or less is how it started, isn't it? Really? Yeah, absolutely. That was always something that, that I predicted before we started seeing it was 
not only are threat actors going to um, encrypt the uh, the contents of files on doing doing ransomware, but they're going to look for whatever they can to leverage you to make it so that you are more likely to pay the ransom because that's what they want to do. They want to monetize the attack. You, you see it as well. So so not only do we see um, ransom groups uh, stealing data so they can have the threat of a data breach alongside the you, you must pay the ransom, but you also see them doing things like being completely willing to negotiate on the price and things like that because they just want to be paid however. I'd say I just thought of another really mm-hmm. silly example. Like coin mining is a massive, oh, yeah. uh, the way a lot of this, this starts. And uh, that can get really expensive for SMEs. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a cloud exploited news for cloud uh, uh, coin mining where it's got um, expansion enabled within the, the framework of the cloud, as in it's auto-scaling. Uh, if a hacker gets hold of your auto-scaling cloud platform and can spin up servers with a pay-as-you-go bill, uh, they will destroy your company financially by running up your cloud bill uh, mining coins. That's one of my um, favorite examples, yeah. uh, compromising a cloud account and then spinning up a bunch of uh, virtual machines to, to do crypto mining. Because yeah. it, it's the kind of thing where it's like, how would your organization find out about that? Of course, one of the ways, uh, things like um, bill- billing alerts, but you they might not have considered billing alerts a security feature, but of, but of course it is in that context. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrendous what could happen there, isn't it? Imagine the, the cloud shock's big enough, isn't it, often for SMEs? <laughs> Imagine what crypto mining has a limited access to spin stuff up and you're getting a bill every quarter or every 30 days, or you just don't look at your bill. Yeah, you, you find out about that attack when you get your bill through and you realise you don't have the cash availability to pay it. And, and that, that could be a business impacting event. That could be it for, for SMEs uh, who've gone about a cloud environment. That's dead easy to happen, isn't it, that? So that that is all of the questions that I had. We've kind of gone through the journey of you know, what do you guys do? What is a SOC? Where do we start? And what kind of companies that you work with? Is, is there anything that you think we've missed? We've covered tons, have we? All right. Yeah, I think it's good. Good fun as well. Okay. Easy question for you then. If people have been listening and they like the sound of the services that you offer, where can they find out more? Uh, our website, uh, www.e2e-assure.com. I'm sure we'll put it up. It will be in the show notes. Uh, basically, follow us on LinkedIn, uh, drop us an email at info at uh, say hello uh, or, or um, any, any of the above. Uh, please just get in touch. Awesome. Um, Rob, thanks for being on the show. No worries. Thank you, Holly. Thank you.